Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Mark Dennis. So Mark is a seasoned insurance executive with a strong expertise in technology, and I would say people as well. Mark was a global COO and Europe's CEO of Minicree's Digital Partners. And Mark will tell us more about what this organization was about. And... Um, what Mark did is build InsureTech ecosystem. He's probably one of the early stage InsureTech ecosystem builders of uh, our, um, I would not say our century, but um, of the way InsureTech came into the market in the UK and across Europe. Mark left uh, recently Minicree Digital Partners which was reintegrated within the Mini Cree group. And today, Mark works with various numbers of young ventures to help them scale and become bigger businesses. So thank you very much for joining me today, Mark. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was a quite the welcome, by the way. <laughs> and you you sort of referenced my, my multiple job titles, which... I look back now and think that sounded a bit silly, really. But yes, I was <laughs> responsible for a fair amount at, at Digital Partners. Yeah. Um, should I give a bit more background to what we did? That'd be helpful. Yes, please. Um, I would love to hear from you about who you are, actually, who you are, what you love doing, because that will help us understand why Digital Partners and what you do every day, today. Let me give you a very... Uh, whistle-stop tour of my career. It's uh, nearly 30 years old now, I suppose, in terms of how long I've been working. Um, it makes me feel old actually saying that, Sabine, but there you go. So I started out in software, believe it or not. I joined a software company on graduating. They happened to build insurance platforms. So I'm one of those people, you know, you get two types of people in insurance, really. Don't you? you get the the career insurance people who've always wanted to be an underwriter or an actuary or something like that, and they've kind of planned it all out. Or you get everybody else who kind of fell into insurance one way or another and then never managed to escape, and that I'm in the, the latter group. Um, so I worked for this software company for a number of years um, in different roles, and I kind of you know emerged as this fairly senior project manager, I guess. And then I did a piece sort of patching my career of consulting, I guess like a lot of people, um, some freelance work along the way. And then I happened upon a contract that was in a Munich Re business. And that was my you know, doorway into the Munich Re group 12 and a bit, nearly 13 years ago. Um, so I joined the group back in, I think it was 2009, something like that. Again, seems like quite a long time ago. And my main focus at that time was running business change. So I was, like I said, a kind of, you know, if I was describing my profession, it would be a sort of project Specialists, I've done every role on, on projects from testing all the way through to program sponsor. So I've done every kind of layer of, of jobs on projects. I'm a kind of project guy by trade, I suppose you'd say. Um, and I was running large parts of business change in, in the group. One of my internal customers is a guy called Andy Rear, who, who you'll know, and I guess a lot of your listeners will know the name for sure. Probably met him as well. I heard him at conferences. Um, he was working on an idea. Um, this is back end of 2015. He was one of my 
big internal customers run, running a big part of Munich Re's life reinsurance business. So nothing really to do with InsureTech, nothing to do with PNC either. Um, but he had met uh, our good friends, bought by many, sort of through a, a mutual connection and asked me to help him out with a what he was calling a, a business plan, an idea. It wasn't really more than a, a scratch of sort of thinking on a bit of a beer mat, you know, that kind of level of a business plan. Um, so I helped him work on this idea. And then in the early part of 2016, we took that idea to the, the main board of Munich Re and got essentially full backing to build a business around this InsureTech engagement model. So it kind of emerged from just as, uh, you know, a sideline really from our day jobs. And then it's one of those things, Sabine, where you, one minute you're working in a particular capacity and then the next minute it's like, okay, you have to drop everything because we've got this new thing and you have to do that immediately. So it was, you know, it wasn't really engineered at all. It was something that just kind of emerged and it was a combination of a good idea with with um, Steve and the guys at, at Bought by Many and good timing. And, you know, we launched this business and that's the start of 2016 with just the two of us. And when I left, just recently, we were more than 100 people. So, you know, it's really scaled quite fast. And, you know, it's a, even in Munich terms, it's a reasonably large size business. So, yeah, quite proud as I, as I look back, as I sit here and, you know, I'm not really retire, coasting into retirement. I will come on to that in a bit. But as I look back, I'm quite proud of what, of what we achieved in, in five years, actually. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, five years. And I know the numbers. So it's, you know, it became a, a multi-million um, dollar initiative. And um, what is interesting as well is you're mentioning Steve, Steve and Guy from Board by Many. I talked to Steve uh, a few a few weeks ago, actually, about uh, him building a growth business. So it's nice to actually talk to you about, you know, 2016 and when InsureTech started, so technology, ventures focused on insurance and how you brought about a new business to drive transformation in our industry. So tell us a little bit more about your journey. I mean, it's a transformation journey, a digital transformation journey, which is quite unique when you look at the, um, the business premise you started with. Well, the key, the key for us at that time was to get the backing of our, our board. I mentioned that we went with a you know, it was more than a, a, a beer map by that point. We had, you know, put maybe maybe four pages together of a of a, of a business case for doing this. But the main the main you know achievement we we had there was to get full backing of our of our board. So our board member um, fully supported what we were trying to do, and by that I mean that we were entitled to experiment slightly um, using the group's balance sheet, right? So, you know, we could also bring in the resources that we need like I mentioned we grew from two to over 100 people so you know we invested or Munich reinvested in this idea quite substantially um for me the reason that it really worked well was we had that kind of blended model so we we offered the, the like a one-stop shop really a toolkit of all the things an insurtech in particular might need latterly you know we've worked with not just insurtechs but other sort of distribution which I'll come on to um, but so we could offer everything, obviously, that you'd expect insurance capacity and kind of product and pricing expertise. But we could also offer, you know, some technology solutions, data solutions. We had compliance people. We, we had the backing of the group in terms of, you know, sort of risk and data analytics and all of that. So we could bring the weight of the group with kind of 
in a nimble unit, you know, so we had the best of both worlds. And then we had a kind of sibling um, offering through Munich Reventures, so we could also invest at the same time, provide capital to the, you know, so investment capital to these businesses as well as risk capital. So literally they could pick from the toolkit of the things that they wanted. And, you know, obviously if you're Stephen and Guy bought by many, you don't want to have to go around multiple partners for all of the things you need. You want to focus on building your business. And if you could find the kind of one preferred partner, I think that model worked really well. And it doesn't suit everybody because, you know, you have varying degrees of capability in-house and maybe you prefer to do more as an insure tech versus, you know, the insurer doing it. But for many of our partners, it worked really well because we could flex that model up and down. So, for example, on the investment side, you know, in the end, we partnered with maybe 25 or 30 insurtechs in, in my time, probably more than that, actually. And we invested in, in less than half. So we're quite selective about, you know, where where the capital went and and actually some of them didn't require money at that time. So it wasn't, it wasn't a necessity. But I think the examples where we've got it really right are probably where we've blended that well. So Bought by Many is a very good example of that, as is Next Insurance in the US. And these are you know almost household names i suppose i would i'm being a bit bold by saying that because it's it's insurance and it's insure tech but almost household names in our world aren't they so and they were funny enough the first two that we, we actually worked with in early 2016 so i think we did something right in our early our early partner selection and, and what that offering was to them yes absolutely and i remember uh, seeing the announcement around how you you were selecting those ventures. I also remember Andrew being on stage and talking about the pillars of technology, capacity provision, investment. And I think the last pillar was around design, product development, um, you know, making sure that the two entity could collaborate. So there were four main pillars, right, as part of how um, an insurtech or tech ventures relevant for the group would be evaluated. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, it, it changed a bit over time. So in, in the early couple of years, we were probably slightly more invested in technology and, you know, our, our sort of assertion at the time was that we ought to offer all of the tech as well. So the full tech stack of policy admin. Um, actually, we sort of middle of that five-year period, we we looked at the market, you know, the landscape and thought, actually, there are people out there who can do this a lot better than us. You know, there were hundreds of policy admin vendors who, who you could pick if you didn't, if you chose to buy rather than build. So we've, we pivoted that model a bit away from building everything to having this kind of network of providers. What, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say ecosystem. It's like, we know it's overused, but actually genuinely that, that is what, what it was. There was a kind of network, if you like, of best in class providers that we could connect with our insure tech partners and vice versa and, and you know let them get on with it rather than us having to provide everything so latterly we focus more around data infrastructure actually and and collaborating with our insure tech partners to leverage you know some kind of data advantage actually so that was where we focused sort of towards the end or that's where the focus is now actually so i think for our listeners it would be great if you could define what digital partners meant and means because you also are using the word ecosystem. And I do think that you were probably one of the early stage ecosystem builders um, in 2016. You know, there has been different business models looking at corporates wanting to collaborate with uh, growth ventures. 
But the way you went about it, you mentioned, you know, 30 ventures and even more. And I'm, I'm sure for you to select 30 ventures, you had to scout and evaluate hundreds like I have had to. So tell us a little bit more how this works and how the names came about. Okay, so I can, I'll start with the name actually. So we we um, literally made that up, sat around a table trying to figure out what we should be called. Um, and it, it does sound like we threw a few sort of keywords up in the air and they landed, but the key for me there is around the partnership. You know, we we wanted to be a partnership business um, fueled by, if you like, by Munich Re, but certainly to the, to the side a little bit. So it's all driven by partnerships. And we try to treat all of those insurtech relationships as partnerships and, you know, try not to make them too transactional. And you can get a bit hung up, I think, on alignment of interest. We hear the phrase a lot, don't we? And, you know, it, it, you're, it's folly really to seek perfect alignment. I think you have to figure out what everybody gets from the partnership and it will vary over time and it moves around a bit. But as long as everybody feels like there's, there's some kind of upside, so it's not, not a zero-sum game, if you like, then that's in a good shape. Sort of seeking perfection is, you know, is, is nonsense really. So in order to sort of get the funnel, I'll give you some metrics. So we we met more than, way more than a thousand startups over the, the years. Um, and thankfully, I didn't have to meet all of them on my own. Um, but we had people scouting in, in US and Europe and all over the world, actually. Um, and in the early days, of course, there wasn't that much competition. So, you know, we would, it's almost no exaggeration, slight metaphor, but they were kind of queuing around the corner to come in and work with us, as you can imagine. Um, and probably without knowing it at the time, we did build that first insurtech ecosystem, actually. Never really thought about it. Again, it wasn't one of those things by design. It was just how it kind of emerged. Um, so that a thousand or more, you know, narrows quite quite quickly in the funnel to the ones, the ideas that you think are, are good. And we had various sort of almost scientific processes of assessing partnerships. But in the end, it boils down to a few key questions, right? You know, is, is the team the right team you know are, are they strong are they balanced and i i'm sure you've had the same i've met many i've seen many pitches where where there's you know the generally the entrepreneur maybe the tech person and then that's about it you know and then perhaps not that well funded and they don't really know much about insurance but they're trying to disrupt the the industry and you know they, they're almost been deliberately provocative and then you've got the other extreme where you've got people who've come out of the industry and kind of really know the pain points and you know, have thought it through perhaps a bit and there's a lot in the middle so you know it's not enough in my view it's not enough to have a great idea because there's lots of great ideas you have to be able to execute you have to understand the space you're disrupting you have to disrupt in what i would describe as a positive you know method of disruption or mode of disruption so don't come in and just kind of upset the apple cart because you know ultimately in this ecosystem you do rely on your insurance partner um probably more than you realize as an insure tech actually um I, mean, I think you maybe you've seen this over the years. I think in the early stage of of InsureTech in you know sixteen seventeen, it was slightly more of a confrontational slash defensive uh, environment, wasn't it? Whereas actually, you know, in the last few years, it's much more collaborative. You know, I think there was some fear and uh, you know apprehension and I think about some lesson as well from fintech, uh, Mark. You know, I think when you compare the two there were much more disruption coming into fintech and financial services with payment platform. And at the early stage, I think some of the 
InsurTech because it takes time to transform an industry, took a much more aggressive approach. And as you said, gradually realized collaboration is actually probably very important because of the regulator and legislation. Yeah, and and you have to kind of respect that your insurance partner, so the carrier or, or whoever's providing the capacity, you know, needs to get something out of this. It, you know, it become then it becomes a question of horizon. You know, how soon, how much patience do they have? And that varies, of course, we know that. Um, but you have to kind of respect that they they also need to show some value here, you know, some value creation on the insurance side. So it's no no good burning the book just because you want to disrupt. So and actually, funnily enough, now I'm working, you know, more more on the insure tech side of things. I'm working with three or four help, like you mentioned at the top, helping helping a couple scale and helping a couple of entrepreneurs with brand new ideas. And you know, I'm always very mindful that this needs to be positioned in a way that that is collaborative in its essence so if you like going back to the partnership you know description of digital partners it has to work in a partnership and so um you know ultimately we were selecting people that we thought would be good partners it's a bit like a a marriage i guess you have to you know everyone brings something to the party and you have to make sure it's kind of you know some sort of harmony there and but you know that funnel went from a thousand down to say well, I said 25 or 30, it's probably 50 that we worked with in one capacity or another, but it's, you know, it it narrows down quite quickly. I'm sure, yes, I'm sure it narrows down quite quickly. And the points you made around synergy and being able to get on with one another, like in a marriage, I think those are very important points. Have you seen amongst your uh, your partners, your digital partners, some of them collaborating with one another? Because when I started, you know, the accelerator, I was always saying to my corporate partners, the insurers I was working with, that, you know, what would make such a difference is all those younger ventures accepting that they can't solve everything and starting working together through API potentially to solve bigger problems for the corporates they wanted to serve. Have you seen that happen within your portfolio? Not so much within the portfolio. The thing that we have done um, a bit in the past actually is, is host things like round tables with you know various discussion topics you know that were co- of common interest so we would bring people together to talk about you know something about like you know embedded insurance or something I'm going to throw buzzwords in there right but um, you know so so we, we were tended to be the facilitator of those discussions with you know our, our insure tech friends if you like but I there's not that much evidence of of any that are sort of you know collaborating that closely together to solve a problem what they will do is use each other's services perhaps to solve their own problem you know you know the early stages of insurtech a lot of the propositions were around really just a better product and and better customer journey and you know slightly easier access to to that customer and more recently of course it's been much more joined up if you like so you know we're using alternate data sources and you know getting getting into the complexity of you know, deeper analytics and machine learning and so on bigger data sets and, you know and so there's a lot of in what we now call insurtechs who are on the kind of back end of the process if i can call it that the day, data and technology more than customer journey and insurance product at the front so you know that you're finding insurtechs joining together in that sense aren't you where they're they're providing services to each other effectively do you see a change in the positioning of the insurance company you mentioned earlier that as you started you were far more concentrated on the technology aspect of the proposition and then you said well you know what you know why 
build when you can actually buy. And so selecting the latter option, but you also mentioned data mm-hmm. and mastering an understanding of data. Do you see a shift happening in our industry around you know, that importance of data? We, we hear data is the oil of you know, the, the most important things of everything. Did you see that happen as you built digital partners? I mean, I, my, my, you know, my theory is that insurance has always been data-driven, right? Always, even from, you know, 400 years ago, let's go back, let's go 4,000 years ago, Phoenician traders or whatever. They're always, you know, figuring stuff out based on some kind of data points. Like when's the safest time to sail across that ocean and deliver, your, you know, your goods or whatever. So, you know, there's always a kind of, it's always been a data-driven industry, if you like. I think now we have the benefit of technology, um, that allows us to process a lot more data, right? And everybody's trying to capture data points and try and get some kind of data advantage. I think sometimes we don't exactly know what we're doing. You know, we're capturing data without having necessarily a clear purpose. And so maybe in that sense, it's at an early stage of that of that journey where we can actually genuinely use technology to process huge data sets and, and draw insights. Um, you know, and actually, by the way, not and this is a common theme you'll have heard already, n- not just to sort of repair and replace, if you like, in the old style of, of, of insurance, but much more around, you know, um, risk prevention and pre- prediction, you know. So being more predictive to to avoid or mitigate risk. Um, and so, you know, prevention rather than cure, if you like. And, and a lot of insurers now are, are moving their models towards that, aren't they? So they're, you know, becoming more of a force for good, actually. I've always thought of insurance as quite a force for good. It gets a bit of a you know probably needs a bit of a PR exercise doesn't it because if you think about it nothing really happens you know on on a commercial sense without without insurance being in place I did I did a keynote a couple of years ago for an an event and talked about you know that Beatles song a day in the life right and I was sort of thinking about the guy gets out of bed or rolls out of bed or whatever puts a comb across his head and I won't do the rest of the lyrics and I won't certainly won't sing but I was trying to think of the journey that of me getting up in the morning to get into that conference to speak and all of the sort of touch points with insurance that maybe you don't notice. And it's absolutely fundamental. So, you know, may, maybe we're at that point where we're collecting those data points in advance of me making that journey and figuring out that don't get that train, get the next train and, you know, avoid that route and in your Uber and, you know, that building's a good building or not a good building. So there's, I think we're starting to sort of use data for more, you know, and insurance more for a force for good i just don't think it kind of gets the the credit it deserves maybe i didn't i never thought i'd become this evangelist by the way <laughs> for, for insurance right but maybe, maybe that's what i am in the end well we we've been in the industry for so long that we, we we can see the opportunity and some of the challenges but i think today with you know cop 26 and all this, this conversation around sustainability, there's potentially um, an opportunity for insurance to be back to that, you know, that good, you know, the, this, this social good it's supposed to do um, to support people and businesses out there. I'd like to go back, Mark, to another point you made earlier. You and Andrew and the team, your leadership team, a digital partners build a business with 100 people and you started with two people so tell us how that has been to move from 
small team to a big team and making the business be something that Minicree is proud of today? I mean, for me, it's, it's relatively straightforward because I always think, you know, you hire, you're careful in who you hire, right? But you hire, you hire good people, you empower them, and then you trust them. And, you, you know, you don't really need to check anybody's homework. If you've got the right people in place, you don't need to check the homework so much. And I think where people get it, get it wrong is where they kind of hire people and then, you know, they kind of feel like they're managing those people. And, and actually, I'd look at it the other way around. You know, my job as a senior leader in, in digital partners or DP as we called it was to create the environment and the space for people to be the best that they can be right and my job was to remove obstacles and give them the fuel to do their job and, and kind of get out of the way of it a little bit really and, and so I hired some fantastic people from both from within the group and from outside the group and we we have this really good blend of that you know mix of people mostly or lots from the insurance industry but not everybody some from tech companies and from completely different backgrounds actually so we have this lovely lovely blend you'll be pleased to know by the way my half of my leadership was female just because they happened to be the best people for the job it wasn't any there was no kind of engineering there it just you know it turns out you know women are really good at stuff as well as men being really good at stuff right? so i need both um, right you know yeah we, there we you go so but it was just but you know happy coincidence if you like but but you know very young team generally so really enthusiastic but they you know they didn't they don't need that i don't need to supervise people you know you hire the right people and like i said empower them trust them let them get on with it and your job then is to be the support you know so you know you're sort of in the background more than anything and a little bit i think that was the approach that munich re took with us as a business you know we were a fledgling business two guys who who weren't really experts in insure tech or even pnc business really but but we were given that kind of free reign to you know within within a few parameters but not too many actually in the earlier years it was more just get on and try see what you can do you know don't don't go crazy. Don't do anything to damage the reputation of the group. But, but you know, try and create this innovation footprint for, for the Munich Re group in the market. And we definitely did that. You know, we, we kind of, in, in my view, put Munich Re on the map for innovation actually through through DP um, and the way we conducted ourselves. You know, we, we were sort of, I think, dealt fairly with everybody that, that we dealt with. And, you know, I've said it a few times now, but we built partnerships and, you know, there's a bit of give and a bit of take, but you have to, you know, they were respectful partnerships. And that was, for me, was why it was successful. But, you know, ultimately that's down to the, the people that we hired and, and the people that we work with in the insure tech businesses. Everyone kind of, you know, everyone had sort of different drivers, but it all, always generally felt like we were pulling in the same direction, even if we weren't in, agreeing on everything. So, yeah, but the, the team thing is... For me, I don't think it's easy, but I'm describing it like it's kind of easy. It ought to be straightforward, right? It should be. Can you share with us an experience which has been the most memorable experience for you, positive one, and one which is potentially the less 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 good, you know, which, but from which you've learned a lot during the course of the past five years? I think that... The most memorable was probably, you know, if I look back and I, I haven't had that, so I, I kind of left in the summer and then stayed on a bit longer, but, you know, because I was helpful and all that and haven't really had a chance to take stock. But I think for me, the whole, that whole period, really that five years from 2016 to the end of 20, maybe the last year was bad because of COVID and all that it wasn't a great year for many people, but certainly that first three or four years of DP was the best part of my entire career. 
And I absolutely loved it. And I, I, I won't pretend that I, you know, woke up on Monday morning and didn't realise it was Monday morning. You know, like some people say, you know, I knew it was Monday, but I, it never felt like a Monday. You know, I, you know, never felt like, a, you know, that feeling when you know, Sunday evening, you think, oh, crikey, the next thing that's going to happen is Monday morning. I'm dreading it. I never, ever had that once with DP. It was absolutely loved it. So I think when I get a moment to sort of stop and and look back, I probably sit there with some pride of what what we did and what we built and you know the people that we developed if I look at some of them now that some I'm working with now actually on some separate ideas they've left Munich Crew as well and we're working on a few startup ideas and I see how these kind of young enthusiastic people have grown into really credible kind of insurance business people you know entrepreneurs and they're the next wave of insurtechs will be coming through some of these guys so that makes me so proud to you know to be a part of their journey um the hard bits, I think, along the way are when partnerships don't work out. You know, we've had a handful of insurtechs who, for one reason or another, haven't got the traction they need or haven't fun, been well-funded enough. And, so you know, so eventually things don't don't end well. And that is difficult because, you know, my 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 job is to protect Munich's balance sheet to some extent, right? But equally, I look at these people who've probably put a lot on the line and, you know, it is entirely stressful, isn't it, for these these guys to try and carry their business when maybe it's not going in the right direction so you know, a lot of admiration and uh, sometimes a lot of well certainly empathy but a lot of sympathy for these guys when they hit the wall and you know you can you can see it in their eyes can't you sometimes how how stressful it is so you know not every idea is going to be successful that's the reality of it but yeah it is hard to see things fail I suppose not a big fan of, of failure yeah no absolutely and um when you look at Sometimes you wonder whether part of InsureTech or, you know, having a startup or the tech startups, whether there is a part of it, which is luck, um, question mark. But you already have mentioned some key characteristics of successful businesses, right? How to build a sustainable, successful venture, such as a team and the execution acumen. Could you give us a little list of what you think are some of the big criteria when you look at those companies you are working with? What do they have today to be where they are? And what do they need to do? Because you are a scale, a scale expert. What do they need to do to move to the next stage? What, what are the top four or five um, items you've seen? The thing, the thing for us was always... You know, you, there's lots of good. I'm, I probably mentioned it earlier. There's lots of good ideas. It's whether the team can execute on, on the idea, and whether the team itself is strong enough and, and well balanced to to do that. So, can they deliver? Then, in order to to deliver, you know, have have they got the fuel for the business? So, are they are they well enough funded that they're not going to come into, they're not going to reach a point where they're going to run out of runway and then they're struggling and they you know they're only two thirds through. You know, it's also I suppose to, alongside that, do they do they allocate their their capital well so are they for example are they building the right tech where, where there's some value add there or are they you know are they to be buying something to save themselves time or whatever then of course it comes down to who they're selling to and how how they're selling so ultimately you can build a brilliant product brilliant journey you can be well funded you can have a great team great idea but if you don't have a customer if no one's buying it then it's kind of pointless right so you know our big acid test really was distribution you know how are you getting to a customer 
you know, this is the customer that everybody else is trying to sell to, by the way. So, you know, what's your edge here? You know, what what can you tell me that I believe that gives you that edge over somebody else? And they're basically, you know, let's be realistic. These things have never really changed that much over time, have they? But it's a kind of combination of all of it um, that, that gives them a chance of success. And then I suppose the secret source is, what you know, whether they've got either some edge or some kind of additional drive or determination that other people don't do. So they're going to keep going. They are going to deliver no matter what. And, you know, they, you, you kind of know when you meet people that they'll, they'll deliver stuff, whether that happens to be an insure tech solution, you know, or something in a completely separate industry, you know, some people have just got that drive and determination and you can almost see it inside them actually. Um, Scaling slightly different. I think, you know, I'm working at a number of businesses now who, who's the front end of their businesses are growing really fast so they've managed to get that they've answered those questions they've they had a great idea they found a space in the market they they found a, a means to reach a customer so the front end top line let's say is growing fast and typically the sort of back end of the business so the back office as we used to call it in the old days i'm old-fashioned right um <clears throat> is struggling to keep up you know it's kind of you know they've got no processes in place and they've got no you know they can't scale so things are done on a kind of goodwill, best endeavours basis, because that's how it was when they were 10 people. Um, and they want to grow to 100 people like, like we did at DP. And so you have to have that kind of business infrastructure kind of trying to catch up as quickly as it can with the front end of the business. It's growing rapidly. And of course, you know, investors love that the front end of your business is growing rapidly. So there's no, there's no way you're going to let that slow down, obviously. So you have to find a way you know, creatively to get the back end to, to kind of catch up a little bit. And that that is a challenge. I mean, it's a, it's good because that's where I'm focusing um, some of my attention now uh, to give me a sort of meaningful purpose for the coming months. That's super cool, actually, to be able to, to help those businesses now realign the front and the back in some ways, making sure that the back can actually fulfill the need of the front, uh, the sales commitment, the marketing and all the great promises they've made to their partners and I assume to their customers as well. Wanted to ask you now around, you know, corporate venturing. And um, I want to ask you that question from the lens of uh, a tech ventures wanting to work with corporates. As you highlighted earlier, you know, working for some startups like Bought by Many, working with Minicree uh, Digital Partners, was, was really key to their growth, like many uh, of some of the unicorns we have out there, Next Insurance being another one. What should a growth venture look for when they look at partnering with a corporate venturist uh, and take money, support capacity from that company to succeed? I think you have to pick a partner based on on values probably you know do they are they kind of motivated by the same thing do they have a similar time horizon for you because you know if you if you've got a venture funded business right so the venture capital funded business that's pouring a lot of fuel on you know in some cases you know fast moving vehicle right so it's just going to get faster and faster and so you need your you know kind of corporate partner whichever guys they're in but let's say they're you know potential insurance carrier you need them to be somewhat aligned with with you in terms of time horizon what they find what they find is important their their kind of 
appetite for experimentation, all of that stuff. Because what you don't want is to get some way down the line and then have a surprise because you realise you're completely misaligned. Now, I mentioned earlier, there's no point pretending that we can ever be have this perfect alignment of interest because it's just, I don't think it exists probably. Um, but you, there is the sort of sweet spot in the middle where everybody feels like they're kind of winning a bit, right? And so you have to kind of constantly work at that. And like I said, it's a bit like a, a marriage where you, you know, there's given, there's taken, you you compromise and you find the, the the space in the middle where everybody's happy, right? And so it is a, you know, it's a partnership. So if I, if, if I were an insurtech looking for a, for a corporate partner, I would try and align with somebody that kind of, you know, respected what I brought to the party, but I also equally, in return, I reciprocate and respect. They have, you know, lords and masters who are, are expecting them to take care of balance sheets and, you know, ultimately the PL of their business as well. And so I have to kind of respect that. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a bit on the partnership model, but that's what I would look for, you know, kind of a faithful partner, if I can describe it like that. Yeah, on one side, you said, you know, you have that to have that self-confidence determination. I think it's about consciousness of knowing where, where one is going and being relentless at delivering against commitments. On the other side, it's not just about taking money. It's also about making sure that it's smart money and there is clear alignment on both sides of the equation, because then you are, as you mentioned, again, is about thinking about a marriage it's as, as if you're marrying different uh, people in some ways, because often you don't always have one single CVC or investors. You often have many uh, on the um, on the map, but it's about finding the one you have the, which are best fit to achieve the growth growth potential. I would like you, to go. You ruined my. Yeah, the metaphor doesn't work now. You've just yeah because you marry multiple people at the same time. But let's. <laughs> No, we need to be careful about that one. So I wanted to ask you about your last words of wisdom. But the way I would love for you to answer that question is by looking at Mark in 10 to 20 years from now and looking at your younger self, what would you tell that person as an entrepreneur, you know, someone who built businesses as well and today are enabling the growth ventures of tomorrow well for me if i if i were looking back at myself you know i'm very i'm a kind of very purpose and value driven person so i what i want what i want now is to or what i fear the most probably is not leaving some kind of positive legacy you know making a difference somewhere so if i'm looking back in 20 years time i would say to myself you know, always maintain your integrity, keep your values, keep true to your values, you know, be kind to people, be helpful. And actually, if you follow those kind of you know, sort of key principles, if you like, or core principles, in theory, then you will leave a positive legacy. So for me, it's, it's key that I kind of, you know, the people that I work with share values with me and I can build a business that I think is a good business and operates in the way that I, you know, I think is, you know, you know sensible or, or, or good you know, clear, transparent, treats its employees well, treats its partners well, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, I would, you know, instill the same principles in, in my own children. You know, I would expect them to operate in that way. And, and hopefully I set a good example for them, for them as well as my, my business partners. So it's all about, for me, it's all about kind of leaving this, this pos- making this positive impact, whether that be 
helping a business grow in the right way or developing people that become the next sort of wave of entrepreneurs or, you know, they employ the next group of people and, and enable them to be really great at what they do. And, you know, so I know it sounds all a bit kind of noble, but that's, that's if I'm looking back and by the way, 20 years is a long way off. I'm not sure I'm going to make it, Sabine, but um, let's say 10 years. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I would say to myself. I think, you know, did, you know, did you do the right thing in the right way? And did you, did you make a difference? You know? I think we hear, I mean, I hear that a lot, actually, Mark, from um, a lot of people who have, for some reason, at some point of their career, realized that they've done a lot, but today it's about giving back and making sure there's congruence and alignment with purpose. So thank you very much for your time. I'm super grateful, uh, Mark. So oh, pleasure. Are, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Been... We are with Mark Dennis. Um, Mark today is, I guess, an entrepreneur. He's one of our insurance executives who is there to help our ecosystem grow better. And if we want to reach out to you, Mark, where should people go? LinkedIn's generally the best best bet. I'm, I will certainly respond to to every kind of genuine request. And, and like you say, if I can if I can help people. In our world, like I said, I'm this now. I'm this insurance evangelist without really trying to be that. But if I can help in any small way, I, I will. Whether that's connecting people or, or, you know, more in depth helping them scale their businesses or fix problems. So you know, that's my, that's my kind of my job now is to help people a bit. Cool. Well, thank you, and I will remember that. You know, I've got oh, no. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, you need to talk to Mark. <laughs> so thank Thanks, you. Lee. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.